The Women in Agile podcast series amplifies the voices of outstanding women in the Agile community. We are dedicated to sharing the wisdom and inspiration our community has to offer by telling our stories, being thought leaders, and having open conversations with our allies. This series is brought to you in partnership from the Women in Agile organization and Accenture Solutions IQ. Hello, and welcome to another episode of the Women in Agile podcast series. I'm your host, Leslie Morse, and today we are chatting with Melissa Boggs. Melissa is the Chief Scrum Master for the Scrum Alliance, and together with the Chief Product Owner and their exceptional team, uh, she works to fulfill the Scrum Alliance vision of transforming the world of work to a joyful, prosperous, and sustainable workplace, which is very, very ambitious mission, Melissa. <laughs> it is. Thanks it for is. having me, Leslie. Yeah, thank um, you for being here. I'm excited about our chat today. Me too. It is an ambitious mission, um, starting with ourselves at Scrum yes. Alliance. So, yes, um, it's exciting to have something that dream worthy to be yeah. chasing after. Yeah, that transcendent purpose get you up in the morning. Yes, exactly. sort of thing. And I don't know who wouldn't want to get up in the morning to go pursue something like that. That's uh it's pretty awesome to have that opportunity. So I think one of the things I've really enjoyed about all of these women in agile podcast conversations is finding out people's origin stories of how did you discover agile? And the interesting thing is in a lot of ways, it found people more so than people finding it. So I'm curious sort of which side of that equation you might fall to. So I'm definitely in that camp and I have to tell you, it's very funny. I love that you call it origin story because it makes me feel like a superhero. <laughs> um, so my origin story, um, first, I worked at the same company um, from the age of 20 to 32. I always say I grew up there mm-hmm. uh, in air quotes. No, that is like, I think you do your most growing up between like your 20 into your early 30s for sure. Yes. Um, and this place was incredible. They were on the top places to work year after year. Their culture was very, very agile, though I started working there in the very early agile days, so I know that they didn't really know that that's what they were. Um, but very values-focused, mission-focused, um, very focused on empowering employees in a very true sense, and things like crucial conversations and stuff like that. So um, in ways, my journey started there. Um, I was at one point in learning and development and did leadership training um, in my very late or early to late 20s and then moved into kind of a process analyst role in a way. Um, If you think about like business improvement, that's kind of where my focus was, which led me to working with our IT team all the time, right? Because you don't really get much process improvement without some sort of technology implication. Absolutely. And so in time, I actually evolved into what I didn't realize at the time was a product owner role. So uh, they were working in monthly iterations and I was the one coming in saying, okay, here's what we need to prioritize. And that's all I ever knew. Like, that's what's so funny about all of this is I was one of those people that didn't really know what Waterfall was because our team that I wasn't even a part of yet had always kind of worked in this iterative and incremental way. And so after doing that for a little while, um, I was sort of invited, sort of applied to move into the IT department, uh, actually as a QA manager. 
because oh, interesting. I had, That's a big shift. Learning and development, kind of process improvement, product ownership, and then into Q. I mean, how well rounded. That's that's was, pretty awesome. Yeah, and actually, help me remember that because there's another point about that in a second. But um, yeah, it was mi- mostly because I predated the software in the organization. So I had been there when we were using like clunky commercial software and it wasn't meeting our needs. And then the IT department started to develop, you know, our in-house kind of end-to-end system. And so I actually was like already doing QA in some ways from, from the business side. Okay. So I moved over and as my director, who's still a very good friend of mine is explaining, and this now is probably about 10 years, almost 11 years ago. So we work in these monthly iterations and we, you know, as you know, the business prioritizes what we work on. And we also do these meetings at the end where we just kind of talk about how well things went or didn't and what we might do differently. And Melissa, I just learned that there's actually like a thing that I think we're doing and we didn't know we were doing it. And it's called Scrum. So if you want to like maybe look up what Scrum is and like you know, just see how we're doing or see if that's what we're actually doing. And so I kind of went out and started learning more about it. And yeah, I mean, we were essentially doing Scrum based on business necessity, nothing else. Like the whole reason that we were working in these monthly iterations was because our business moved so fast. And these were all internal applications that it was necessary. Um, There was a lot of reliance in that company on government and I won't bore you with those details, but things, things would change in the government and we would need to be able to move with that as fast as possible. And so, yeah. And it's just funny. Like I can still remember that day that he said to me, let's go figure out what scrum is. And then he was super supportive as I came back and said, okay, here's what it is. I don't think we're doing it right. So you know, let's shift some things and try some things. And essentially I became a scrum master. I mean, in title, I was still a QA manager, but in practice, we just had an amazing group of people mm-hmm. that were very agile in mindset and agile by nature. And so we just started trying things. And so I started learning how to facilitate retros and how to take that and, you know, turn it into actions in our next sprint. I mean, it was just, very, very organic. And well, I think the cool thing about this is this whole idea of kind of a universal voice of the system, right? The people that came together and really codified what Agile is and what Scrum is and all of this were happened to be the people that were in the room when we started capturing these ideas. But it was really just a voice of this universal system of, I think, at that point in time, lots of people were organically coming to these kind of approaches um, on their own. So it was just a matter of time before it'd reach a tipping point um, and become a real thing. So, um, cause I too had some similar sort of experiences like, Oh, we're kind of already doing it this way. And there's a name for that. How cool. <laughs> it's a very silly name. It seemed at the time, yeah. but <laughs> let's put a name on it. Yeah. Um, absolutely. I mean, I, it changed my life. Like, no doubt about it. I um, then very much became a scrum master and grew into that role. Um, And then when I really started to understand coaching, 
it was this just awesome intersection. The reason I mentioned the training and development I had done before, it was, it was this awesome intersection of like the leadership courses that I had kind of co-taught. And I was such a nerd about people like, um, Lencioni and Vern Harnish and all of these kind of leadership people. And so I was like, Oh, so it's more than scrum. It's more than practices. This is actually like about principles and leadership and people working together. And then it was just like, that's it. Yeah. Like I'll never do anything else. Yeah. And then when you get into the leader or the coaching lens of it, it's not just leadership in the sense that we think about leadership of others, but leadership of self, right. And tapping into your own capability and, and all of those, um, sort of things, which is, you know, never ending leadership work. <laughs> right. Exactly. And that really comes first, right? I mean, yeah. especially, especially in a coaching role, like mm-hmm. you can't be an effective coach if you're not constantly working on yourself. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. So with that origin story, fast forwarding now to having a really big job, like co-leading what I would guess is legitimately the largest agile constituency in the world. Um, that's, that's huge. That's awesome. And to have a female, right, doing that work is pretty amazing. What has that portion of your sort of journey and transition been like? First, it still takes my breath away whenever anyone actually says it like that. Because, you know, on a day-to-day basis, I'm just doing my job. You know, and of course, I am, I'm a member of this community, so I'm very aware of the impact that we have. But it still takes my breath away a little bit when, when people say, hey, you're like the co-leader of Scrum Alliance. I'm like, oh, that's right. I am. <laughs> Do you need to write that in lipstick on your mirror? So in right. the morning when you look at yourself, you're like, you remember? <laughs> remember. Yeah. Um, so, I mean, yes, it is a big job. Um, it's an impactful job, I would say, mm-hmm. as much or more than it is a big job. And I am super grateful to have someone like Howard to be my co-leader. Um, and it's also just created some interesting paradigms as we've kind of worked through this. So, you know, I started in January, so I'm working on almost eight months in my role. And he had a couple months head start on me. and. So jumping into it, first of all, I've said this nearly any time anybody asks me about working with Howard and what our co-leadership is like, but uh, we could not be more aligned in our values. I, yeah, I can't even think of a different way to say that. Like when it comes down to at the end of the day, we are both personally steered by the the four agile values in principle. so we have a lot of differences in personality. You know, he's very extroverted. He's very um, dynamic. And I can be that way, but I'm certainly kind of quieter than him. And mm. I am small in stature and I am a woman. And so there's been some interesting things that we have run into as we've learned how to do this together. And it's really cool because there are times where each of those strengths really come out you know um he is fantastic at conferences and I do about an hour of shaking hands and walking around the expo even at 
Agile 2019 when I just saw you. Yeah. I do about an hour and then I'm like, okay, I need, I need to either go back to my room or like have a one-on-one conversation with someone over a, a drink. Um, but you know, it's back to your comment about being a big job. I can't imagine doing this job well by myself. Um, just the focus that we have both on shaping the internal organization and, and helping that to it through its agile journey, which is what I focus on, but then also being out in the world and understanding what the community needs and, you know, um, being a presence to support people in our community. That's what he's really good at. And I can't imagine trying to do both. And I know he feels the same way. Like it would be really challenging to like right now he's in Beijing, China. Mm -hmm. And so to come back home from something like that and immediately jump into, okay, you know, how are things going with our organizational design? Do we have a whole lot of dependencies still happening? Those things, that's a lot for one person to handle. And so I really do, like, I give a lot of credit to the board of directors in making this decision to really embrace, you know, the scrum roles in leadership. And um, I, I, I venture to say that this will be something people will write case studies about in the future. And I, I would imagine, knowing Howard, that someone's keeping a really good log of all of the great milestones and learnings so that this is a story you all be able to kind of go and chronicle and share um, about that transformation. So you just, like, lobbed me a softball, Leslie. (laughs) (laughs) Um, I wasn't going to plug it, but I'll plug it now. We do, actually, we have a blog on our site, so scrumalliance.org forward slash unscripted, where we've been doing that. And this is part of just the transparency, right? It's like I wrote a blog in my first couple weeks there about what it was like to come into a new situation as a servant leader and you know, you kind of want to prove yourself, but at the same time, the most important thing you can do is listen, mm-hmm. you know, things like that. Those are the types of things that we write about. Uh, we also do Facebook live. We try to do anytime that we are physically together. And then even sometimes when we're not, we get on Facebook live and we just talk like literally it's unscripted. There is, we may have like four topics we're going to talk about, but that's it. Like we don't know what we're going to say. Um, so that's part of the chronicling of it is not just writing a case study, but actually being able to look back. I can look back and read what I wrote in, you know, February, be like, wow, look how far we've come even since then. Um, and I think having that to go back to is a great motivator because especially in times when it gets hard, because the type of work you all are doing is challenging work and being able to remind yourself how far you've come is a way to, to keep aligned with that purpose and the mission that you have. Absolutely. Um, and I also journal a lot, so mm-hmm. I go back to that as well. And some of those might not be thoughts anyone wants to hear, but my own rambling. Um, but yes, I mean, and it's funny because people have approached us and said, hey, I want to write a case study. And I'm like, we're just a few months into this. Like we're, and I keep saying we're not, we haven't declared success yet. And, you know, I don't know that you ever actually declare success, but, um, you know, I I am looking for us to get to a place of stability in the organization and and 
psychological safety, even for Howard and I. Yeah. Um, there are definitely times where this is challenging and um, it's challenging as a man or a woman. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so how do you, I know burnout's a topic you're really passionate about. So when you think about taking on this role and all of that work, how is, how are you navigating not just feeling like you're working 24 hours a day and, and managing burnout? Cause I think that's something I know I struggle with it, especially when you're passionate about the work you do. Um, it becomes, I definitely have a life outside of work as many of our listeners probably do, but when you're so passionate about the work you do, it's hard to set it down sometimes and we can inadvertently burn ourselves out. So when how do you navigate that? What are your kind of self-care things? It's so funny that you asked this right now. Um, so I'm going to confess is the right word, but I, you know, I speak a lot at conferences and one of my biggest talks and kind of one of my favorite talks was exhaustion is not a status symbol. Yes, I um, completely agree. <laughs> very much around, you know, around burnout, but also just this competitive culture that we can have around, you know, oh, well, I was on 18 conference calls today. Oh, yeah, well, I was on 20. Yeah. You know, it's really I'm on seven easy. projects right now. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. It's really easy to get into that. And, and Howard and I even actually call each other on it once in a while. Like, if, if I say to him, like, oh, my gosh, you know, I'm just so spent. And he'll be like, exhaustion is not a status symbol, Melissa. Like, yeah, I said that three times to you last week, but you're right. (laughs) Yeah. Um, But for me, the funny thing with that being like my favorite talk of 2018 was that now I find myself really, really struggling. And I think you hit it on the head in that I'm a very boundaried person. I am a very boundaried person. I do not work on weekends. Um, I rarely work past, you know, 5.30. But that doesn't mean that my head stops spinning. Yep. And so I actually just had a conversation with my husband like a week or so ago about how it's not about the hours that I'm working, but that I actually need to find other things to have in my head, if that makes sense. Like, um... We also just moved to Denver around two years ago, and the first year I was traveling a lot. So I don't really have hobbies in Denver because we haven't been here long enough. You haven't put down the roots, really. Right. And so, you know, my husband's counsel to me was, you know, I think you're spinning and you sit here and, like, you're with us. Or even at night, like, I've never had trouble sleeping before. And now I'm having trouble sleeping because I'm just, you know, spinning on it. And it doesn't even have to be negative things. It's just oh, there's this that we can do and that that we can do and, oh, this person's unhappy and I need to fix that and it just spins. And he was like, that's because there's nothing else in your head. Yeah. You know, there's work and family. We have two awesome kids who are very busy. But I wasn't doing anything to fill my head with other things that make me feel good or make me feel fulfilled besides work. Yeah, and if you're anything like I am, the most random thing often inspires me and connects a dot with some work thing that even if I have found myself escaping, really thinking about work, I'm suddenly inspired back to it because of, I don't know, 
the gift of systems thinking or something, or whatever right. it may be. <laughs> so. Yes, I, I can totally uh, relate to that. Um, so for me, you know, it's, it's still keeping the boundaries, which mm-hmm. are now kind of physical boundaries of not working at certain times and like do not open the laptop, but also mental boundaries and emotional boundaries. Um, the other thing about being a leader, this is the first time that I've been in this, um, I don't know, executive level job, we'll just call it that. Um, and I'm a very empathetic person and that is a gift as a leader. It is absolutely a gift, but it also means that I need to understand how to manage that well and not allow it to sink me, you know, where I'm not even effective as a leader because I'm just so worried all the time, you know, worried about how people feel all the time. Yeah. Um, I'm actually this coming week going to Brene Brown's Dare to Lead workshop. Oh, major jealousy. (laughs) Yes. Well, to be clear, she's not actually teaching it, but it's based on her work. Right. Um, And that was a very significant decision on my part. I am taking two days and I'm going to go away and take this workshop for myself and for my leadership because it will make me a better leader. And, you know, because it's different than like, I just went to Agile 2019. That's kind of work. Yes, that's absolutely work. You know, so this is like, I'm going to go and fill my head with other things. And yes, they're related to work. But if you've read Dare to Lead the book, I mean, a lot of it is inner work. Mm -hmm. A lot of it is about, you know, yourself. And she's the one who says vulnerability without boundaries is not vulnerability. Yeah. And so, yeah, got some work to do there. That's, um, I appreciate you sharing that. Because I think it's important to remind people, especially us Agilists that use oftentimes like, you know, whether you're a scrum master, an agile coach, you look to our industry conferences as professional development and places to go learn and hone your skills. But it still very much is purely agile, which is work. And there's a whole nother side of growth and development that. I think is important, not only in leadership, but um, for agilists in general and the way that we approach humanity in the work that we do. Um, and, you know, the fact that there was a self-care track at the conference this year, and we see more and more of these types of topics coming up is, is, is huge. Um, but I think taking the time to actually step out of our agile ecosystem and do that some, some of that work is really important. Yeah, I agree. And it, it's funny, though, I will have to kind of admit that it's not that far off, though. Like, part of the reason I think so many of us are, like, drawn to Brene Brown is so much of what she talks about is interaction, you know, individuals and interactions over processes and tools. Yes, this I mean, is that's, true. Yeah. That's her work, too. They're, is it orthogonal? I think that's the right word. Yeah. I think of it as things that are adjacent to us. Adjacent. Yeah. Yes. Is that another word I use? Yeah. Um, so it's just funny. Yeah. I'm getting away. It's not too far. No. But I'm getting away. Yeah. But it's not like someone from the agile industry leading a workshop on leadership. Yeah. Or true. something like that. That is true. Yeah. So what uh, people often learn from challenges, right, and fa- stories of failure and in times of difficulty, through this transition, have there been any of those moments that you 
can share with us that have been like, oh, this has been more challenging than I wanted it to be that, that might inspire learnings for others? So many. <laughs> <laughs> um, you know, one of the things about this job was that um, I'm the first chief scrum master. No one has done this before. Um, and the same for Howard. No one had done his role before in, in this manner, you know, in this setup. Um, and so, I mean, I would say overall the message to myself and particularly to other women leaders for me has been kind of standing up to my full posture. And that doesn't mean that I have to be loud and it doesn't mean that I have to be obnoxious or uh, that I have to act in the traditionally assertive way. I can still be who I am. But, um, you know, one of the challenges I will share is in the earlier days of being in this role and working with Howard is there were times that I felt invisible. Um, and not all of that is gender. Uh, some of it is whether we like it or not, some of it is, but some of it also is just the difference in personality that I referred to earlier. Mm -hmm. Um, I'm just quieter (laughs) and, and I also think, you know, the inner work piece of this is I wasn't necessarily standing up to my full posture at the beginning and owning my place. You know, when you, when you talk about, well, wow, you're one of the co-leaders of the, you know, one of the biggest, most influential organizations in our space, I was not necessarily owning that yet. And, and I, I said earlier, I still kind of go, oh gosh, no, that's true. (laughs) Okay. (laughs) Got to stand up and own that. Um, and so that would come across in my feeling as if I wasn't actually being seen in some of the work that I was doing and that we were doing together. And I really had to learn and I'm still learning how to, to stand up in that. And one of the best things that someone told me and, and another message that I would give to other women is that other women are looking at you um, in a very positive way. And some of the best advice I was given was, you know, if, if you're not standing up to your full posture and, and owning your role and accepting the credit because of humility, you need to recognize that it's not for you, right? You standing up and, and taking your place gives hope to other women and other coaches and women coaches. Um, and that has helped me a lot to recognize that like, this isn't about me being full of myself. This is about me showing other women, like I'm not that special, you know, I just did the work and had a dream and pursued my passion at the end of the day. And I'm still doing all of those things. And so other women can do that too. But if I don't say that, if I don't have these conversations like with you, then, you know, who knows who might, I don't know, who, who knows why be inspired to buy it. And so I'm, I have to. Yeah. And I love that you're feeling right, you can share that story because on the stage that you're on, it's so easy to see how that could be real. But we, I think lots of people experience versions of that um, standing up and you kind of to your own posture, right? Being able to hold that space and, um, 
not necessarily claim credit, but it's like, you know, maybe it's an inner thing of like, I don't really feel like I need the credit, but that the fact that you can own it and be out there and, and showing others um, creates that hope and possibility for other people. Because whether or not we like it, to your point, the moment you're in a leadership people role, people are watching. Um, you just said it so much better than I did. Yes, oh, no, 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 no. <laughs> no, I mean it, though, because that's what it was. Like, it, was yeah. it wasn't humility. It was just like, I don't necessarily, like, need to be showered with praise for this. That's not why I'm doing it. But at the same time, if if talking about it means that, you know, someone else says, ooh, you know, all right, I, you know, maybe that's something I could do too. I think about, um, do you remember the picture of the little girl standing in front of Michelle Obama's painting? It was like probably two years ago. And she was probably like five years old. And she was a little African-American girl staring up at the first lady and you know it was just this beautiful image and you know at that moment in time um you know she didn't know that this young lady was inspired by her so you just never know you know who's kind of watching and you don't even have to be like yes I'm in kind of a visible role now but um even just within your organization you know women inspire other women when they are courageous and, and own their own self. Right. Yeah. Cause again, I do come back to, I'm never going to try to be like Howard. Right. Like that is not how I stand up to my full posture. Yeah. It's but that's by, not authentically you. Right. And I would imagine, right. Not knowing what your list of core values is. Right. But I imagine that there's something in there about authenticity. Um, yes. <laughs> because to your, or you would try to go be like Howard or somebody else or somebody else or somebody else or somebody else because of some other need. But I think being authentically you reads all of the time and in, in, in all of your interactions. Yes, I would completely agree that that okay. is something that is super important to me. And that wasn't always the case. I mean, yeah. I think I've always valued it, but have not always been secure enough to pursue it and and check myself when I wasn't pursuing it. So that's great. Well, what final wisdom and guidance might you have for the listeners of the podcast today? Well, I gave some of it already. I just realized <laughs> like that's <laughs> the one I always go to is kind of the stand up to your full posture. And then, you know, in that there's another phrase that I heard recently that I really liked. Um, so in that standing up to your full posture and recognizing that other people have trusted you, mm-hmm. you know, to do whatever it is that you're doing. Um, it's almost the antidote of imposter syndrome, which is walk worthy. Ooh, walk you know? worthy. I yes. like that. Recognize that, um, you know, you may not in that particular moment, if you're feeling weak and you feel like you're not what people think that you are, if you think about the fact that they chose you in whatever form that means, whether they chose you as a speaker or you were chosen, you know, from candidates for the job that you're in, whatever it is, um, you don't have to lean on your own belief in yourself in that weak moment. You know, normally we would, but in that weak moment, just walk worthy of other people's choice of you. That's great. 
I love that phrase. I'm going to write that one on a sticky note and put it up. I need to by go my computer. Like, Walk worthy. That, that's beautiful. I I want to say it was in Adam Grant's originals because now I'm feeling bad. Like I I didn't make it up, so I got to go figure out where that yeah. source is. But that's what Google's for. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> well, Melissa, thank you so much for making time to chat today. I really appreciate it. No, thanks for having me. It's been yeah. really fun. Yeah, and I uh, appreciate you making time out of your your schedule and um, being a great voice and, and an inspiration to lots of women in our community. Thank you. You're welcome. And thank you for listening to this episode of the Women in Agile podcast series. It's brought to you in partnership from the Women in Agile nonprofit organization and Accenture Solutions IQ. We hope you've learned something new and invite you to tell a friend or a coworker about the podcast. Please go online to womeninagile.org to learn more about our initiatives and find more inspiring conversations. Thanks for listening to this Women in Agile podcast episode. Find more inspiring conversations by visiting womeninagile.org slash podcast checking out the podcast series on iTunes, or visiting your podcast application of choice. If you have an idea for a topic, speaker, or feedback on an episode, please reach out to us via email through podcast at womeninagile.org.